You're listening to OnRamp, and I'm your host, Carrie Fisher. And I'm your host, Shane Blackshear. Two Christians talking about race. Because everyone needs a jumping on point. This is OnRamp. This is OnRamp. Welcome back. Today we're going to talk about race and representation in the media. But really we mean like the television film media media we like yeah fun media neither of us ever watch the news or (laughs) read a newspaper we're really letting loose it's it's been a lot of heavy talk and we're gonna keep talking heavy but about funny stuff so it's probably also worth saying i don't know if we already said this but we recorded all of this beforehand before we launched the first episode we recorded it all so we don't know how it's going. Maybe you hate us by now. <laughs> we're so we're in a real sweet spot of dream and hope. Yeah. <laughs> we assume that you've loved it. And and also, you know, we if this has been beneficial, we would love to do a second season of this. Uh, so, you know, if that's something that you would like, then you know, let us know on social media and uh, all those kind of things. So I thought it'd be great. We thought it would be great for us to end on talking about media, movies, TV, those kind of things. So we broke it down. We, as we were just kind of discussing this beforehand, we kind of realized that there were two, maybe three categories of problematic media concerning race, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this some a little bit in some other episodes, I think, but as a reminder, There's a couple of mechanisms of oppression to use the sort of big term that are relevant here. One is the problem of invisibility. And so sometimes in media, if we're paying attention and really noticing, there might be whole people groups who are completely un or underrepresented in the movies we're watching, the TV. um, And I guess that's basically the areas that we're talking about. And so, um, it's invisibility or lack of representation. And then sometimes what we're talking about is more the mechanism of oppression called distortion, which is where when and if there's a person of color who's represented in something, it's either in a way that plays on stereotypes or, uh, and that could be of the sort of malevolent type or also just sort of, inconsequential like this is a character who has only a couple of lines and they're doing some menial job in the background or something so those are the two main topics what what is what does that make you think of shane which one the distortion or either one yeah let's go with distortion first one of the ones that i think of is a movie that came out a few years ago the help yeah. Um, it was a pretty fairly well-known movie. I think most people probably saw The Help. It was based on a book. Yeah, the think. book was adored. People were crazy over the book and, and the movie as well. So I didn't I didn't read the book. As I've already said, I don't read things. Right. Um, <laughs> I, did I not mention I'm illiterate? You, <laughs> you've stood by this for many years of our relationship, <laughs> even though we sit in your office surrounded by books. <laughs> Is that what those are? Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, so I saw the movie The Help, and I was telling you earlier, you know, uh, when I originally saw it, I think I I really liked it. Um, Yeah, I did too. And, you know, the broad strokes about The Help was generally about this main character who was a white woman in the South 
who gave a voice to black women who were domestic workers who were what they called them the help. Yeah. So maids, and they were basically raising these white children for their families and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, so this uh, white woman comes back from college from the North and she empowers these black women and change happens in that community, right? Right. Remembering it right. You're remembering it right. And so... What's wrong with that, Shane? That sounds like a beautiful story of uh, cross-cultural interactions, giving someone a voice. Is there anything wrong with that? A story about black folks being empowered? Yeah. Right? Why do you think that? It all sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think, Carrie, for me, like the question that I used to ask when I saw things like that in media was, is this possible? So like... Would it have been possible in the six? I don't think I told. I mentioned it was a period piece. It's it's. Oh, I did say it was in Jim Crow era. I think, but okay. anyway, you know, it's in the sixties. So I think the question I used to ask, and the question I asked when I saw the help was, um, is what I'm seeing possible? Would it have been possible for these things to have happened in yeah. the sixties? Right, and I think that's the wrong question to ask because when you ask, is it possible? Well. Anything is possible, sure. right? And just how we were talking in a previous episode about stereotyping and cultures being monoliths. Well, every person is is different. So, you know, of course, with all of the white people in the United States, there could have been one who helped empower black people. But the yeah. question is, is that, I think the better question instead of is this possible is, is that the common story? the common experience. And I think when you answer that question regarding the help, the answer is no, absolutely not. The story of black folks rising out of oppression is them helping themselves, working very, very hard to uh, achieve any kind of equality that they've obtained or anything like that. Yeah, and part of the problem has to do with the amount of those types of movies that we have access to, right? Because of course, in fact, there were advocates and allies who made the abolition of slavery and, you know, other things possible. And so we, we never want to discredit that, but if there's only going to be one movie in 2008 or whatever year it was about what it was like to be a black woman in the South in the, I don't know, 40s or I don't know, whatever era it was, um, then should it be the one where there's a white lead who is a white hero? Right. Even though there are things that movie does well where we do see some real strength and passion of the woman of color in that movie. But when we really think about who probably got paid the most to do that movie, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who is considered to be the, the lead, that uh, matters. Yeah. You know, and it also, it, for me, it keeps going back to stereotypes and maybe even um, a word that's related to that, which are tropes, right? Mm-hmm. So one, I think we really need to be aware of those tropes because one of them is the white savior, yeah. the idea of the white savior. And so, and the help really plays into that idea that this white person came in and you know, saved these black people from whatever, from silence, from some sort of oppression or something like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the dangers of that, it's not necessarily what we 
what I thought we would talk about, but I'm just remembering that you and I had this conversation right after I saw that movie. And one of my, uh, one of the people who I was watching it with a white woman said, that was such a good movie. And if I had been around in that time, I would have been like Skeeta, I think was her name. And I remember thinking, I didn't know her that well yet. And I remember thinking, well, I hope then I see that evidenced in your life right now because there's big social justice issues right now. And so the reason the white savior type of movie, I mean, there's a lot of things that are non-preferred about that, but one of them is that I think it can provide the white community a notion of like, yeah, see, this is how there were, there were a couple kind of white people, right? There was the slaveholders and then there was the advocates and allies. And I think what you said earlier is important that while there were, definitely recorded advocates and allies and there could have been someone in this specific type of role even though it's a fiction story um there's a sort of false sense of equity that could come up where it's like yeah i would have been one of the good ones yeah (laughs) half the people were slave owners and half the people were abolitionists right right. the the white people right yeah and we obviously know that's just not true right and so to go to great lengths to tell a story that is such a a seldom uh, a story that seldom happened we have to ask why we're telling that story so often instead of the story that was probably more what happened more of the time yeah i I like how you said that because it really does become on some level a numbers game i always think about it that I mean, I think I already said this, but if there were 50 of those movies, then that would be yeah. a great one to have in the mix. Sure. But it's it's just that we because of the invisibility that we talked about um, at the beginning of this episode, you know, there might be whole seasons. I mean, I think this was a big controversy the year before last, maybe with the Oscars. There might be whole seasons where there are no movies who are getting any sort of acclaim or awards with any black directors, black lead actors, black writers. And so uh, until we sort of do the work to make sure there's more representation in each of those areas, then we should be critical viewers uh, when we think about what is the one story that got through and what does it say about what it means to be white, what it means to be a person of color. And, and maybe there's other layers. So, you know, we've we've talked in the past about the idea of disproportionality, and I think that goes into, that kind of leads us into the representation mm-hmm. discussion, the idea of certain ethnicities just being completely absent or invisible in media. Yeah, and um, I was really touched recently, um, last, last year, Aziz Ansari, uh, who is a writer and comedian uh, started his own show called master of none. And he co-wrote it with um, a friend. I think his name is Alan Yang. If I'm not, that might be the character, but I think it's the writer and uh, they, they both identify as Asian Americans. And I was really touched as I heard them on their interview circuit, because they really talked about their experience of having, literally no one who represented them in any of the films or television shows that they loved and enjoyed. But it was like, if they saw an Indian person or a Chinese person, it often would be for a short amount of time. And it would often be in a very um, 
non-complex role. And I mean, we've talked a little bit about tokenism and this tokenism comes up a lot in uh, this type of media where either the people of color don't really bring anything to the table that represents their culture. And so they kind of are just happen to be a shade darker than the other people or they, they bring a hyper stereotypical version of the culture. And so they, they talked with some real sensitivity around what it feels like to never be perceived as someone who has a romantic partner or who, um, you know, watches movies that the rest of culture watches and only to be a cab driver or only to be someone working at a Seven Eleven, and and you know you and I have talked about what that means for I often think about what media children are getting and you know what messages that sends to them about who someone can be who looks like them in terms of roles in terms of jobs in terms of character traits hmm just back to the proportionality thing. So the racial makeup in America, white people make up a little over 60% of, of America. So that means that if TV and movies were accurately represented, um, all, all people, that would mean for every, basically for every 10 people you see on TV and movies, four of them would be people of color. Yeah. And I think, think about that. And remember that next time you go to the movies, because mm-hmm. it may not seem before until you start thinking specifically about TV and movies, you may think like, that's probably about what I see, but it's hardly ever what we see. And especially right now, you know, sometimes what happens when we have sort of a boom in diversity is that people start to think, well, now all we see on television is people of color. <laughs> that's you right. Know, we got blackish. We got fresh off the boat. Yeah. Are we ever going to, I mean, I've really seen things where it's like, are we ever going to have another white sitcom? <laughs> and then when you go and look at the actual numbers breakdown, it's yeah. like crazy to see how few people of color are represented when you count up all the television shows or all the films that are coming out in any given year. And so, yeah, I think this is one of those times where, um, we, I, I like the way that you gave those numbers about the United States because that is a good way to sort of think about hmm, to what degree is this really representative? And even if by the numbers people are being represented, how are they being represented? Are they being That's represented right. in a way that shows diversity within a culture? You know, are we seeing people in various jobs with various temperaments dating various types of people? Yeah, that's right. And so often, you know, usually if there's like, say, a TV show with an ensemble cast, and, and it's a, you know, a cast more than like a family sitcom. So maybe like more than five regulars or something like that. Oftentimes there will be a person of color, mm-hmm. right? And, I th- you know, I think that really plays into what we've talked about before, tokenism. Just the just the idea that there's one here. They're often not the main character. Right? Yeah, we've checked off the box. We, Th- that's right. We're, we, we give us our diversity award. Right, right, right. <laughs> So you mentioned uh, Aziz Ansari and his yeah. his show. Um, do you want to go into specifics about that? Well, I think you were you remembered an episode maybe better than I did where he talked about. That. I was I was really touched by like his interviews, but I know he did address that in the actual content of his show. Some. So what do yeah. you remember about? Well, that? Well, so there's uh, his show Master of None. It's on Netflix. is a fantastic show. 
uh, you know, rated PG thirteen ish, right? We, you're gonna so let's we'll just throw it's that not out for the there. Kids. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, but very extremely well done. Um, I feel like the writing is really good. It's super funny and just the the look of the show is very aesthetically pleasing. Which yeah, you, you had pegged me for that before we. Yes, that's right. Talk about that. That's right. So, and in each episode, in a very well done way, he tackles a lot of social issues, but not in the way. Um, you know, a lot of those are, a lot of times when TV shows do that, it's like in a really corny, a after, very special episode. after school special type of way. <laughs> right. They're just very well done, really natural and, and kind of believable. Anyway, he, in one of the episodes, they talk about the lack of representation of, you know, people who look like him in, in media. And in the show, he is an actor, right? Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's natural fit, right? And uh, so he talks about... You know, for him growing up, the person they always looked to or the movie they always looked to was Short Circuit, the uh-huh. movie Short Circuit. That's right. Because there was an an actor there and they find out that he was really uh, a white guy. In brown face. In brown face. That's right. Not not literally brown face in like, well, I mean, I don't know. Did they put makeup on that guy? Yeah. Oh, they really did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. And, uh, it, and it was just like destroyed him right to define this out yes and then on the show he's going for auditions and it's for things like cab drivers yeah and with accents with strong accents and you know so he's and he's like having conversations with acting direct with uh casting directors saying like well why is maybe this guy doesn't have an accent you know why doesn't he just talk like me yeah why wouldn't he because i'm the same ethnicity <laughs> what, what you're trying to represent <laughs> yeah i am that Right. And I've heard that um, from a lot of black actresses as well. That They'll go into auditions and they'll get sort of a note that is do it blacker, yeah. black it up a little bit more. And and so, you know, once again, this ties into some things we've talked about throughout these episodes. But if a black person is standing in front of them, they are doing it in a black way. That's right. Whether it meets your notion of what blackness is and should sound like and look like or not. And I think this too, you know, tell me how you feel about this, but it kind of goes back to what you're talking about earlier with, you know, with the help, if that was one of several movies that portrayed different scenarios, you know, well, you know, maybe if on the screen there were, you know, tons of, of black people who were fulfilling different roles and there were, uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, all this thing. Well, there, as we discussed before, there's nothing wrong with being a sassy black woman, right? Yeah, and like the way we see white people on TV, how sometimes right. there's that's a right. white character that's nerdy, and there's a white yeah. character that's All aggressive, the and there's a white character, you know, yeah. If we if we had more diversity, then um, it'd be great to have a range of different personalities. And I wanted to say, uh, with regard to Master of None, that you mentioned how authentic it seems, and you know, part of that is because of we've talked about the importance of diversity at tables of power and other places. And it's because the people running that show and writing that show have the actual experiences that they're writing about. And sometimes well-meaning or I don't know, maybe not well-meaning people who do want to add a diverse element to their programming, but don't have anyone who sort of has lived those experiences, they're now taking a white projection of what it's like to be a person of color or what job that person probably has or what relationship that person probably has to food or to their job or, you know, and so when you have more people at a table who can actually say, well, I'm Indian and I've never had that kind of food, that's yeah. helpful. 
Yeah, and once again, it speaks to why it's so important for our the organizations who make decisions for themselves to be diverse, the people in power for them to be diverse. Yeah. And you know, I don't expect a lot of like casting directors to listen to this episode. <laughs> I would love it if that if that became our niche for some very weird reason. <laughs> yeah, and you can find my resume online. No, I'm kidding. But again, we are people who are probably on church committees and you know things at our job. And it's so important for the same reasons to value diversity on those. Yeah. And we do make decisions about representation in terms of uh, who, if there, for anybody who still has a church bulletin, I guess I don't really go to a church that has a church bulletin anymore, but like, what do the faces look like on those church bulletins or what pictures are our kids seeing when we have a Jesus represented? The landing page of our website. That's right. Yeah. So there are ways in which even, uh, through that type of media, we should think about who's represented and and why and check in with people of color about what that might mean. So here's the big question is, why is it important for people to be represented? Like, you know, who cares if one ethnicity doesn't get to be represented on TV? Is that really the end of the world? It's just TV, right? It's yeah. not the real world. Why does it matter? Yeah, I think it... It matters so much to me when I think about it because we really do, we are constantly taking in information about what's available to us and what we actually can be. And so I know you and I have talked about before. I think everyone has had some experience of when you're little, um, you know, a lot of us sort of get taught about four professions. Like you could be a teacher, you could be a fireman, you could be a policeman or a secretary or something, you know, and beyond that, we have some exposure in our own families of what is out there for us. And then we do take in a lot of media. We take in a lot of movies and television. And even if we think of ourselves as quite high minded and maybe it doesn't impact us, I think particularly for children and for adolescents, um, but, but for adults too, we're we're getting a lot of messaging about what is possible in, in media. And so that's why I would say it's important. Would you add anything to that? Well, I think it really is important to have role models, even if they're fictional role models. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, so you know, as a white guy, every person in power in media is a white guy, usually. And so there was a message sent to me when I was young that these are your options that are available to you. Yeah. And there was a lot of them. And you can, I can imagine that if only, you know, if we live in a parallel world where white guys were only portrayed as drug dealers or rappers or professional athletes uh, or cab drivers. Yeah. That that would have a huge impact on me. Absolutely. So we've talked about the first two categories of problematic depictions of people of color or one distortion. So like with that example, example uses the help where it wasn't a good picture of what, how things really went down. Yeah. Right. And then the idea of uh, representation or the lack of representation. So just people of color, not even being there, not being represented at all. Yeah. Right. So we were talking, we came up, there was a third one that you brought up that we're just going to say is confusing. Yeah. Right? 
Um, so I'm not that familiar with this show, but I just, it struck me that, um, I've, I've read a couple things in the last year or seen some things come through my newsfeed or whatever, that there's a show called Devious Maids. I'm not sure if it's still on or not, but Devious Maids does the, a great job of, of combating invisibility and having representation. I think the four main lead characters on that show are all four Latino women. And yet they're all maids, which there's, as we couldn't say it enough, there's nothing wrong with being a maid. There's a lot honorable about it. But if, if I'm a Latina child or adolescent or adult, and one of the only places where I see myself represented is on a show where everyone is a maid, and I'm going to guess from the title, are devious. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that could be problematic, but. I think that in the producer role or executive producer role is Eva Longoria, who is a Latina woman herself. And so this kind of is an interesting, um, it kind of uh, makes it a little more nuanced in my view, because and I think you brought up a good point when we were talking about it earlier, that you can imagine that maybe this is what she has some, experience in in her family or in her city growing up she's a texan by the way um and she wanted to really give voice to those narratives or play around with it or just work from her area of knowledge i don't know if this is true i'm speculating and does it matter that if she's a latina woman and she's putting this forward what, does she have a burden to make sure that one of those characters is a doctor or uh, or do we just all have more of a burden to clamor for more diversity generally in shows so that people of color can do what they want in a show? And even if a person of color wanted to write a show that was for all white people, they could mm-hmm. because there's plenty of people being represented in other spaces. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, too, it must be difficult for creators of media who are people of color because it it seems like they have got such a burden to um, make up for all the bad representation and non-representation that there is in media today. Yeah, which is totally unfair and also still has consequences. You know, that's one of the weird things I think about being a person of color in many arenas is that on the one hand, I think it's really fair to say, I will not be forced to represent and be the advocate for my entire race of people. Yeah. But also, if I make that choice, there are still consequences to whatever I choose to put out there creatively or in a classroom or in a church setting. And so it's a weird and nuanced thing. And we thought that would be a good way to <laughs> wrap up our time together is with something that's a little bit messy yeah. because that's how all of this is. Yeah, that's right. It is. It's not always, everything is not always cut and dry that we always have easy answers for, or even, you know, solid answers that are on solid footing all yeah. the time right just this idea that we're kind of we're all trying to figure this out to a degree yeah and to again to bring it back to what's more important to us most important to us which is our our faith you know how we love each other how we be the body how we seek truth other. and knowledge that's right
That's it for this week's episode of OnRamp. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review OnRamp on iTunes to help keep the show front and center. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.